being open to wearing many hats, I mean, being creative, I mean, not thinking of it, it's, it's a very different mindset. I mean, working for a larger company, I mean, even coming from GM, I mean, I, I talk about it, I mean, it honestly moved too slow for me. It just, I mean, I loved what, I mean, what we're doing, but it probably would have taken five years to do what we're going to accomplish in one year. And I think you have to be ready for that coming to a startup is even if you've come from a big company, like a fan company, or even, even smaller companies, um, just be open to change. I mean, chaos happens. It's normal. Um, but be pragmatic too. I mean, it's, you, you don't want to have to, uh, I mean, feel so much pain. I mean, it's, it's not intentional pain of being in a startup, but, uh, but I think you also have to be comfortable with, I mean, things do change week by week and, uh, and you, and you have to have to, uh, kind of overcome that, that concern. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, a serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups and seven and eight figure businesses, as well as a founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com and we are always here to help. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, um, Kirk Marple. And uh, Kirk grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, uh, did college there, and then wanted to be a chef, um, but switched to being computer science, which he'll get into a little bit of how you go from <laughs> one extreme to the other. Uh, worked in the, for a few company or companies in the D.C. area, went to grad school in British Columbia, uh, went to work with Microsoft for a period of time, then wanted to be a bit closer to, uh, uh, to the customers, so did a startup in around 2001, ups and downs um, with that, and then uh, went and did another company with uh, in 2008 that kind of restarted the original company, sold that one off. Bootstrapped, uh, bootstrapped a different company, um, worked for some buyers for a few years, and then went back, did a few other things before uh, starting his uh, more recent company that he's doing now. And that's a con- or condensing of a lot longer journey. And so with that, <laughs> welcome on the podcast, Kirk. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate being here. And uh, yeah, it's definitely been some ups and downs. So happy to happy to talk about it today. Absolutely. So I would did a kind of a quick walkthrough of your journey, but take us uh, back a little bit in time to uh, growing up in Pennsylvania in the smaller town. You got you're going to college, being a chef, and then decided you didn't want to be a chef anymore. <laughs> yeah, no. So I grew up in a in a college town. My dad's a college professor, and so kind of always had been in in that uh, that little college town in Pennsylvania in Kutztown, and grew up through high school and, and uh, did did my undergrad there and. Really, I mean, started to, I mean, computers were, I mean, I'm old enough where, I mean, TRS-80s were kind of the, the thing back when I was in high school and, and kind of getting going. So really, really early on, um, there wasn't even classes for computer science back back when I started. It was just kind of playing around on the, the side. And, and then my dad had an Apple II in his office uh, in his uh, that he was using for, for college. And I spent a lot of extra money on calling bulletin board services and things like that and got in trouble and uh, calling like Alaska and things like that. So I learned, learned the hard way about the internet or kind of the early days of uh, kind of pre-internet. And yeah, just decided computer science was, was something I really enjoyed, but didn't think it was going to be my career. Thought it was just kind of a hobby, something to play around with. And then really just realized, I mean, this is my passion. I mean, it's, uh, it's something I really enjoyed and I see the creative side of it. And I think from a from a cooking side, that was always the thing. Of, I mean, I decided, okay, cooking is going to be the hobby, and computer science is going to be the career. And did, I, no, just out of curiosity, so because yeah. I mean, you kind of went into this thinking you're going to be a, a chef. Yeah. So how did you kind of make that balance of okay, 
rather than being a chef and doing that as a, as a full-time job and doing computer yeah. science as a hobby <laughs> thing, what made you decide to flip that or flip that or flip that around? Yeah. I mean, honestly, my father was, uh, was the one who kind of gave me a kick in the butt about, nope, go into you You really need to go to a four-year school. And I had already filled out my application for Culinary Institute of America, like where Bourdain went and all the um, guys in, uh, in, in New York. And I mean, I was probably like 14 and I went to, um, I should also say, I went to college really early. So I started college at 16, graduated at 19. And so actually it was, I was probably like 14, 15 and, and was thinking of going to culinary school. And he was like, nope, you really needed, I mean, think about your career and think about doing a four-year school. And so I kind of ended up flip-flopping it. I mean, sort of dragged <laughs> screaming a little bit at first, but, uh, it, uh, it ended up being the right decision. So I think, um, I mean, there's so much about entrepreneurship and I, I see, watch a lot of TV shows about, I mean, starting, starting restaurants and things like that. And I find so many parallels between starting companies and, and being a kind of solo chef. So it's, it's, I think there's a parallel universe there. Fair enough. So, so now you, you said, okay, I'm going to make the switch. I'm going to go from what was going to be a chef to more now computer science. I'm going to go into that direction. You, you study that and you come out with the degree. Where did your journey go from there? Yeah. So, I mean, after college, I uh, knew I wanted to get out of the small town and was, uh, I mean, I'd done some internships actually back in the day, you could get jobs for the government in the summer. And um, I did some little GS4 jobs and lived in DC for some summers and loved it and then ended up moving down there. Um, it was a great, I mean, DC was a great time. I guess that was in the kind of late eighties, early nineties and um, had a blast there and then started to think about grad school um, did a little bit of grad school at, at GW in uh, near DC and then decided to really do it full time. And so I'd worked for, I guess, four or five years in there. Um, all kinds of, and it, I mean, it's it's interesting looking back. I mean, very kind of similar media related companies and ended up going to grad school for computer graphics. And uh, UBC in Vancouver had a great program for that and ended up going out west. So you, so you did that now, you've done do graduate school for a period of time now you're coming out of graduate school so you went to work for microsoft was that just yeah. you know always wanted to work for microsoft or a powerhouse it was the first job you got kind of what you wanted to be or kind of how did what what uh, led you to go to microsoft as a way to start your journey out yeah i mean it's it's funny i was going for computer graphics kind of ended up that my math and physics skills probably i knew that i was kind of <laughs> not going to cut it as a as a graphics researcher and sort of pivoted into the multimedia area kind of more in the video space and started to learn about distributed systems and actually ended up seeing a job opportunity at Microsoft where they were just starting off with the first version of the Microsoft network. I mean, this is really early on pre-internet and it was a perfect fit. I mean, I so I joined a really incredible team there that was basically building, you could think of it almost like, I mean, the first pre-web browser and all of the streaming media controls basically to compete with AOL back in the day and dropped into an incredible team there. And um, it, was a, it was a super fun experience. And so I, I ended up pivoting into Microsoft Research for three and a half years and worked on 3D virtual worlds, which was something that, I mean, never thought I'd get to experience, but it, it just was a, I mean, super, super fun experience. Great people there too. So, now you, so you do that. No, and that definitely makes sense. You do that for six years. You know, you've been yeah. at Microsoft for quite a period of time. You know, and it's a good company, I'm sure, with good benefits, good pay and everything mm -hmm. else. So what made you decide that you wanted to go from Microsoft, which is a juggernaut in the software industry, to yep. something more of a startup or small business or doing your own thing? Kind of what was that trigger? What was the motivation there? 
Yeah, I mean, if you think back to that time, it was a it was kind of a crazy time. I left basically right when the 2000 crash was happening, and I mean, the, the stock market was crashing, and Microsoft, the DOJ trial was happening, and so it was kind of I was at a point where I. I mean, I think Microsoft was having some struggles. I was kind of trying to find my place there. What do I do next there? And also just really started to see the, I mean, the internet wave really happening and just wanted to be part of it. And so I uh, left and actually started, I um, worked for a little company for just about six months and doing some video transcoding um, work as a director of engineering. But I met a guy there that ended up being my co-founder. And we really, the company we worked for got um, merged with somebody else. And so it was either go with them or go off on our own. And so we decided to take the leap and uh, basically had to, it was just he and I, he was the kind of hustler. I was the hacker and we went for it. So it's pretty, I mean, classic, <laughs> classic kind of dive in deep story. Now, did you guys, when you guys decided, okay, we're going to take the leap, we're going to, you know, got the founder, co-founder and you got the right type of skill sets. Did you have a business in, in mind? Did you already have mm -hmm. an idea of what you're going to go after? Or was it just, hey, we're, we think we can do something cool, we'll figure that out later on? Or kind of how did you arrive at now that that other business has been acquired, what you guys yeah. are going to do together? I mean, we pretty much knew what we were doing day one. I mean, it was, it was basically about automating um, video transcoding. And if you think back, I and mean, this is a while ago, I mean, 20 years ago, it's, I mean, YouTube didn't exist yet. I mean, there really a lot of the stuff that we're so used to today didn't exist. And the idea of automating how to get video onto the web, there weren't a lot of companies doing it. And so I had an idea from my experience that I could do it better and build a media management system that could, I mean, be something useful. And we pretty much went heads down for a while and uh, started building something, realized, I mean, we, we kind of need to double down and build more IP ourselves which, I mean, back in the day was, I mean, something, I mean, as you know, it's key to figure out, okay, what's your value in, in the IP range? And we just started grinding and um, we bootstrapped the whole thing. We never took any funding in and started to get a bit of momentum. And, and this is, I mean, we could talk about the ups and downs in the early days, but it's, it's uh, yeah, when you're bootstrapping, I mean, it's every dollar is a good dollar. And so we, we learned a lot. I think every good dollar is a good dollar no matter where you're at. I, <laughs> yeah. I'll take any dollar I can always yeah. get, but no, I definitely think that makes sense. So, so you guys did that and you said, okay, you know, we're going to, we've got our founder, co-founder, we've got an idea, we're going to go for it. You build the company. And then I think that there was, you know, as you mentioned, the ups and downs. And one of the yeah. things that you, I think when we chatted before and correct me where I'm wrong, is that, you know, kind of around 2008, you almost did kind of a restart of the company or you kind yep. of a relaunch of that. What was kind of, how did that come about and what was necessitated? that yeah i mean we've been going for a while and i mean we've been making i mean i guess seven figure revenue low seven figure revenue and, and be able to survive and we were i mean had a small team and i think we we hit a point where i mean it was the classic kind of co-founder divorce scenario where it just uh it wasn't working anymore and so we i mean it, it was a really rough period of time where it had to decide okay do i just go get another job or do we figure out a fresh start for the business and ended up um, kind of figuring out a way to, to move on and basically restart a company, was able to bring over the IP from the other company, do, I mean, a lot of legal fees and all that kind of stuff, but it's, uh, it ended up being a, I mean, a positive. And so brought over a, uh, uh, my, our VP of sales as, as one of our uh, new co-founders and yeah, it took another four years, but we were able to, I mean, really, I mean, blossom and, and make something out of it and, and sell it. 
No, and I think that definitely makes makes sense. And, you know, you kind of hit that crossroads. Hey, we can shut it down. We can go do something else or we've got to do a change. But something has to change either yeah. way and kind of hit that restart button on the business. You know, or it sounds like it was a good path forward. Now, you guys hit the restart button. And I think for another four or five years, you continued on. And before yeah. you uh, sold the company off, is that right? Yeah. So we, I mean, we started to get a good number, I mean, really name brand customers. We had all the major broadcasters. I mean, we had ESPN, we had NBCU. So we were doing, I mean, a really, I mean, if you look at it that way, we were doing a good job for a really tiny company. Um, there were some really big competitors out there. And that was what we hit is there was a, a couple sort of whales of, of, um, of uh, competitors that had a lot of funding and we just couldn't compete. And so we ended up either, I mean, do we take in funding? Um, do we kind of sell to somebody and try to figure out what the next step is? Because we kind of hit a limit of what we could do in a, in a small bootstrap company. So we ended up selling um, really to especially get uh, international distribution and sales um, was key. And then, um, yeah, I mean, it was, I kind of kept the same role, kind of chief software architect role and uh, kept grinding away for a number of years. But it was, uh, I mean, I can't say it was, a. I mean, it wasn't really the outcome I expected, probably wasn't as, as lucrative, but I mean, it's an exit. <laughs> You'll take, I mean, I'll, I'll take it. And, um, and yeah, I, I worked for them for, I guess, about, I mean, three years after the, after the sale. So now you work for them for three years. Oh, I guess, first of all, you know, you sell and say, okay, we've kind of hit our limit where we want to take this, what we're able to do with it. We'll sell it. We'll stay on for your, your period of time. You always hope that that will be lucrative and make worthwhile. Sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. But then you hit the end of that uh, three years. Then what, where did you go from there? What, what did you, first of all, what made yeah. you decide to end the, or end it with, you know, the, the yeah. fire and not continue to work there. And that can be everything from, Hey, at the end of the, the golden handcuffs, I wanted to go do my mm -hmm. own thing to the business wasn't going where I wanted to, or wasn't as fun or any number of things, or they didn't want me anymore. I um, mean, so kind of what made you decide to go from the working for the yep. buyer to your next thing? I mean, it's a little bit of both. I mean, there was an earnout period, um, but then also I really, I mean, the cloud was happening. I mean, as, as much as I, I started the business kind of when the internet was starting, this was really the transition to the cloud. And, and one of the reasons that I sold was I wanted to double down and essentially build a cloud um, video transcoding service. I mean, so what you see now with, I mean, encoding.com or Bitmovin or even what Elemental has um, with their sale to, to AWS, I mean, it's that was where I wanted to take the business and it, it didn't end up going that way while I was still employed there. So I spent about, I mean, a year just self-funding a new startup, um, building out a lot of cloud technologies, just starting to get my hands around, I mean, what are the benefits of, of cloud technologies? And so that was the biggest thing. I mean, I had an ability, I still contracted for them for a little bit. Um, so I kind of was able to kind of keep fixed bugs and keep things going on the code base I'd written. But uh, but yeah, it was, I saw the cloud as the next big thing. And, and that was what I wanted to double, uh, double down on. Now you saw the clouds the next big thing. Now, if I remember, and you can correct me or I'm wrong, for the next four or five years after you left the other company, you didn't go dry to your own uh, new startup, but you worked for other people or other companies for a period of time. Is that right? Well, honestly, actually, um, so for one year, I was full-time self-funded. So yeah, so I, I started a little LLC, um, hired some contractors and basically did that for a year. It wasn't, I mean, it built a lot of really interesting stuff, but the projects I was going to use it for, um, basically it was taking on-prem software into the cloud. So kind of wrapping on-premise, just normal package software and making it into a SaaS service, which ironically just uh, Amazon just announced a product in this space like a couple of weeks ago. Um, but it's, it's something that, I mean, 
packaging up that is is still a value and it was just a lot to bite off for basically one person without a business partner and uh so i ended up just taking a job at general motors and i um, saw an interesting i knew i had to get a job at some point and they needed somebody with video experience and it was a really interesting way to, to move to austin um get some experience with uh i mean a totally different type of business i mean um quote big data was the thing back then i mean how um just how data was moving around in, in industries and I just wanted to learn and so I kind of look at it as a sort of gap year of I I had a lot I, there was stuff I wanted to learn and expand my knowledge um, and honestly that experience really was what ended up uh, resulting in this company that I have today. So now you did that for you know kind of your gap year and then after the yeah. gap year kind of where did you go from there? So I got recruited up to um, stats in uh, Chicago a sports data analytics company and then um, basically, they had some transition, so I ended up going back to um, San Diego, work, uh, work for a company in San Diego. Um, honestly, the last several companies have been just people that I've known through the years um, saying, hey, we need a senior engineering exec. I mean, we have a new company or we have a role. Um, can you come help us kind of go zero to one in, in this new role? And so I, that's what I've kind of done the last several jobs. Um, ended up in uh, working for a company up in the Bay Area. Um, most recently, um, they were a, a VC-backed company in the drone uh, image space, image analytics space. And um, we, I mean, basically incubated a brand new product there. It's really exciting. Um, they, uh, I mean, then COVID hit. I mean, so we we had to go some different directions with that product, but ended up kind of working out a deal where we could kind of keep the um, the customer list that we had kind of developed there, but kind of go off my own way and build a brand new company um, which is is somewhat related to sort of tangential to what we were doing there and that's just gonna say so you did that for a period of time kind of worked with the other businesses you know did some consulting work you know did yep. the work for them and then COVID hit now is that when unstuck be or uh, um, came into i or kind of where does unstuck which is what you guys are doing now or unstruck sorry unstruck yeah i think i said stuck but unstruck <laughs> no, no. where did where did that fit into everything yeah, so I mean, it's honestly, I had written a business plan for almost the same business when I left GM. And I was thinking of starting it then, um, didn't have access to the investment community as much, not kind of being close to the Bay Area. And it's funny, I mean, I had the opportunity to kind of learn what the sort of, sort of the, um, the needs and the wants are of the industry at the last couple of companies. And just really from better networking. I mean, met, met the right people to do a seed round and everything kind of fit together and started at, I guess, Q4 last year, um, put together a seed round and, and basically spun out in, uh, and did this. We started, I guess, February of this year officially and closed our seed round in March. Okay. So now you've started that, you've got your seed round. Now, you know, that kind of brings us a bit up to where you're at today. Now, if you kind of take the business where it's headed, what's what you're kind of projecting out, where do you see things headed next or kind of what's the, what's the next yeah. step for you guys, the next, you know, six to 12 months? I mean, we're, we're grinding right now. So we're, we're aiming at um, basically we're in, deep into product development. Um, we're planning to go into like a private preview, basically in the July timeframe um, at this point. And then we have a, a number of kind of warm business partners and customers um, that, uh, that we're looking to roll this out with. It's, I mean, everybody from ports to chemical companies to pulp and paper companies, folks like that. So kind of industrial companies that use media in different ways. I mean, everything from images to videos to 3D. And, um, but yeah, it's a team of six full-timers. Um, we've all worked together before. Um, 
basically some, I mean, engineers, sales folks, designers uh, that, yeah, I mean, we're super heads down right now and the product's looking great. I mean, we've only been basically at it for two months full time. Um, but the thing is the, the back end of the product is what I had been working on for the last five years. So I had actually taken everything that in that startup that I started um, five years ago, night, a lot of nights and weekends and built out a lot of IP. And so that's actually what we injected into this new company. So the back end was mostly like 80% done already. Mm. So we're really focused just on building the front end and filling in gaps right now. No, I think that sounds like it'll be an exciting exciting time and always kind of fun to see how things uh, turn out as you guys continue to build and grow, especially as you've brought on some funding, see, you know, have the a bit of wherewithal to have a, a bit of room to breathe or at least focus yep. on the focus on the business side for a bit of or a period of time. And it seems like funding is always one of those where you're, ne you're never quite done with it. Um, yeah. Now, as you as you uh, do that, that kind of brings us up to a bit where you're at today and where you're heading. Yeah. So with that, we'll transition over to the last two questions I always ask at the end of each podcast. And as a reminder for those that are listeners, we'll also do the bonus question after the normal episode. So if you want to hear us chat a little bit about intellectual property, definitely make sure to stay tuned. But otherwise, we'll jump to the first question I normally, or I'll ask at the end of each podcast, which is if you're or, uh, along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? Yeah, I think, I mean, one that I always think back to is as a small company, we were doing a deal with a very, two very large companies, um, one kind of in the, the media space, one more of a technology company, and we strung ourselves out too far without money coming in the door. And so it was, a, I mean, it was one of those kind of like hope is not a strategy, which is kind of one of my main mantras where we hoped for too long and it, they ended up killing the project that we had done probably between three and six months of work with them on our dime with no money coming in because there was this big sort of, I mean, pot of gold <laughs> at the end of the thing that, uh, that we were hoping for. And I think it's just a lesson that I've thought about uh, many times since then where you got to get some consulting money. You got to get something along the way because these big companies have the money to spend. And when you're small, I think it's, it's too easy to kind of just assume everybody's going to be nice to you and, and do the right thing. Um, so I think that's that's one of the biggest things that I, I think about when when ever faced with a similar situation in the future. No, and I think that there's there's a fair point to that in the sense that, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, they'll pay me. They're good for it. I just want to get the work and I want to impress them and do a good job and everything else. Yep. And that, you know, that and then you keep you, you go. You, it's kind of death by a thousand cuts. You continue to move along more than you feel you otherwise yep. probably would feel comfortable with, but because you kind of, you know, oh, I can wait a little bit longer. Oh, they're good for it. Oh, we'll just do a little more work. And then you look back and you're like, well, you're going to pay me. And then it's, uh, you know, and it's whether or not they pay you and whether or not you can sustain it, whether or not what happens if they're not happy or any number of things. And so I think there's always that kind of get that initial, whether it's you call it a down payment or initial retainer or initial whatever to make sure that they're committed and they're, there's actually the funding there and that they're going to pay you. So I think that's yeah. definitely an easy mistake that you can often make as a startup, but also a good one to learn. Just jump into the second question, yeah. which is, if you're now talking to somebody that's just getting to a startup or a small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them? I think it's, I mean, being open to wearing many hats, I mean, being creative, I mean, not thinking of it, it's, it's a very different mindset. I mean, working for a larger company, I mean, even coming from GM, I mean, I, I talk about it, I mean, it honestly moved too slow for me. It just, I mean, I loved what, I mean, what we're doing, but it probably would have taken five years to do what we're going to accomplish in one year. And I think you have to be ready for that coming to a startup is even if you've come from a big company, like a fang company, or even, even smaller companies, um, 
just be open to change. I mean, chaos happens. It's normal. Um, but be pragmatic too. I mean, it's, you, you don't want to have to, uh, I mean, feel so much pain. I mean, it's, it's not intentional pain of being at a startup, but, uh, but I think you also have to be comfortable with, I mean, things do change week by week and, uh, and you, and you have to have to, uh, kind of overcome that that concerns mm, no i think that definitely makes sense so and i think that's a, a great piece of advice as well so awesome well as a as a reminder for people we'll talk about intellectual property in a minute but otherwise if people want to reach out to you they want to be a customer they want to be a client they want to be an employee they want to be an investor they want to be your next best friend any or all of the above what's the best way to reach out to you connect up to you and find out more yeah, I mean, LinkedIn is uh, easily did a lot, but also on um, Twitter. We have, uh, I mean, just my name, Kirk Marple on Twitter or Unstruck, uh, at Unstruck on Twitter um, are, are probably the main places right now or our website, just unstruck.com. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage people to reach out, connect up, find out more and, uh, and support a, a great business. So well, as we wrap up, thank you again for coming on the podcast. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, feel free to go to inventiveguest.com. Apply to be on the show. We'd love to have you. Um, two more things as a listener. One, make sure to click subscribe in, all, in your podcast player so you know when all of our awesome episodes come out. Two, leave us a review so other people can find out about all of our awesome episodes. Last but not least, if you uh, ever need help with patents, trademarks, or anything else with your business, feel free to go to strategymeeting.com. Grab some time with us to chat. So now as we've wrapped up the normal episode where, you know, it's always kind of fun. I get to pepper you with questions. You get to talk about your journey. And now we get to switch gears a bit. And as you get gets asked a question and I get to be in the hot seat for a bit. So with that, I'll turn it over to you to ask your uh, number one intellectual property question. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's it's interesting because having been through asking myself this question of, I mean, do we do patents? I mean, how, how important are they at a small company? I think that's my big question. I mean, I've seen both sides of it. And I mean, I know there's value, especially with selling your company to have a patent portfolio, but I mean, just think if you have any advice for when is the right time to, to patent your technology and, and maybe are there times when patenting isn't the right thing? Yeah. I mean, I would look at it. One is, you know, what is the plan for your business? Meaning, Hey, is it one where we're not, or I guess what is what is the core of your business is a better way to put it in the sense that hey is the technology that we're going to be building and innovating is that going to be the core of our business or is it going to be the brand we're going to build a killer brand we're going to have great customer service great branding great marketing great sales and you know that's what we're going to pride ourselves on or is it something else you know something else with your business and that's kind of where I'd start because if honestly if the technology isn't going to be the core if that's really not what you're building intellectual property at least on the patent side now maybe branding you're going to go on the trademark side but at least for patent yeah. side probably doesn't make sense because you're not going to derive that value you're not going to get that return now let's yeah. say you are working on it whether it's software hardware you know or mechanical or anything in nature you say okay now what we are is we're going to innovate we're going to put our stuff new and it's going to be different and it's going, that's where we're going to put the focus of the business then the question becomes is you know one is first of all do you have the the budget to be able to do it if mm -hmm. you don't have the budget don't get it Get your company up and going and actually get a product that you can make money off of because you can have the world's best intellectual property. If the company goes under and you never make sales, it's not yeah. gonna survive. So I would always make sure that you have that plan within there. And then the question is, is now what is the what is the purpose of your intellectual property? And there's usually a couple that you may be looking at. One is is going to be, hey, we wanna protect what we have. So if somebody else comes along, they rip it off, they copy us, they otherwise do something that we wanna be able to control so that somebody doesn't take all of our hard work or time, money and effort mm -hmm. and just simply ride our coattails to success. 
And then the second one is also more of an investment side, and it can be an asset as an example, mm -hmm. and you kind of mentioned that it's going to be one where in an angel investor, venture capital, or somebody mm -hmm. else is gonna come along, and they're going to say, what assets, what's proprietary about you, what do you, uh, what do you protect, how do you protect it, and then is it investable? And so that's one where you can say, hey, you know, are we getting intellectual property to protect ourselves down the road? Are we doing it to make ourselves more, you know, or more attractive to investors? Are we, you know, another one is, is you may say, okay, right now we're not looking even for investors, but down the road, we're looking for a merger. We're looking for an acquisition. Mm -hmm. We're looking for a licensing play or anything of that. And again, that's where I would start to parse it out because each one of those has a bit of a different strategy. If you're going to do it now, if you're, if you need investor dollars tomorrow and all the investors are saying, we're not going to invest into you until you protect what's proprietary about you, you have right. a much more sense of urgency versus if you're saying, Hey, down the road, we want to do licensing. We want to set ourselves up for merger and acquisition. Then you may hold off for a bit, get the company up and going, and then focus on the intellectual property. One other kind of side note that, you, you know, oftentimes that, you know, startups and small businesses don't aren't aware of, or at least people that haven't gone through the patent process as much as anytime you put anything out in the public, you have what's called a one year disclosure period. Basically it means if you offer it for sale, you put it down in the public, you put it on a website, do a presentation, put it out to people in any way, you basically get a one year time click to, time clock ticking that if you miss that window, if you are after, if you're one day after that one year, you just donated whatever you put out in the public, you can no longer get a patent right. on it. So you have to kind of balance all of those and then, you know, it's, it's always a question is, is it worthwhile for the investment? And, you know, you're asking a bit of a, is it probably a biased question because you're asking an intellectual property attorney, <laughs> should I get intellectual property? But I think it's, is it going to be core to your business? Is it worthwhile to protect and invest in? And if so, then it's worth getting worthwhile the intellectual property. And if not, if you're saying something else is more core to your business, then focus on that and build it around that. So. That there's a lot to unpack there. Those are a few of my thoughts, a few of the, the, the thoughts that you may or look or think consider if you're a startup or a small business looking to get a patent. So with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up the podcast. Thanks again, Kirk, for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. And wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.